0: from James 5, 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: good evening my name is jason staff pastor here at grace downtown and we're so glad that you're worshiping with us if you are new to town or new to grace if you're a college student that has just moved here we're so glad that you're here and so glad that you're worshiping with us tonight you've come on a good night uh, because we're having ice cream after the service out on the front porch so uh, you can stick around after for some ice cream out there on the patio want to fill you in on a couple of things to help you get connected here at Grace and also know more what we are about. As you just heard from Melissa, we are recruiting volunteers not only for children's ministry for, but for all of our areas of service. The idea is that we would do things well and in an organized and hospitable way so that uh, as new folks move to town and join the church, they feel welcome here. We take care of their kids, we set up chairs, we have a hospitable and welcoming environment, and it takes a lot of manpower to do that. So if you'd like to sign up for children's ministry or any of these other areas of service, you can just scan this QR code right now. It's also been going out in the weekly email, and that will take you to a sign-up sheet where you can sign up for uh, any number of areas here. Uh, We need about 100 volunteers a month. Uh, to pull off the service here at Grace Downtown. Now that should communicate a couple of different things to you. One, that's a lot of people, uh, which it is, that is a lot of people, but also there's over a hundred people that come on a weekly or biweekly basis here downtown in a month. So if everyone chips in and does their part, then we will be able to accomplish what God has called us to do. So you can uh, click on that. You can scan that QR code and sign up for these areas. You can also see that in our weekly email as well. also want to tell you what we are doing to welcome new people to town. We are in this season of welcoming. And you see up here on the screen, the top there is tonight, where we are having ice cream on the porch. And then Tuesday night, we're having a party out here on the front porch at Old Brick as well, from 6.30 to 8.30. We're just going to have some lawn games and some snacks. The idea of the ice cream on the porch and the party on the porch is for people as they move to town, as you saw, students are moving to town. Clinton Street's blocked down here because everyone's moving in and they will continue to do so this week. The idea is that as students move to town, they would see people out here worshiping together through fellowship through sharing food together, through playing games together, through experiencing joy with one another so that they would see the love that we have for one another and that they would see that we're Jesus' disciples. And also see that there's a church right here in downtown Iowa City that loves them, that does things on the front porch, that is glad that they are here. So that's the design of those events. Also next Sunday, uh, about 5.15, there's gonna be some folks partnering with the Navigator Student Ministry, doing some surveys of students, as well as giving out popsicles. Uh, All of the freshmen are gonna walk past our building next Sunday night, about 3,000 plus of them. And the idea is that we would give them lots of popsicles, again, to welcome them here to town. Um, Then September 11th, we are going to have a theological panel. This is something we do uh, pretty much every semester, and the idea is that we would hit on topics that we feel like are important for our faith, or they are an important apologetic for our faith, or an important outreach for people to hear about, but we don't necessarily hit on it during a sermon. So September 11th, we are having a theological panel on faith and feelings, and then uh, September 18th, we'll have our first full-fledged meal of the semester and we'll continue that each month the idea here is that we would welcome people with the same hospitality that Christ has welcomed us that we would welcome folks as they move to town we would welcome students families everybody to town and we would tell them a little bit about what we are about the idea is not that any one of these options would see hundreds of students come or anything like that, but they would all work together to communicate something to students and families as they move to town. One last thing you may have found this as you sat down, if you can't find it, you're sitting on it. Uh, it's a First Peter study. This walks you through the book of First Peter. The idea is that we would be people of the word, not just hearing and coming one of the pastors preach uh, verse by verse through the Bible, but that we would be hearing from God's word and spirit on our own as well. So this is a 1st Peter study. The study starts on August 22nd, as you see up there on the screen. That's a week from tomorrow, and then the sermon series will start on September 4th. And the idea is that we are studying 1st Peter using this devotional for ourselves, and then you'll see group questions. We're going to discuss what we're learning from 1st Peter in our community groups. And then we're going to hear a sermon on it at the back end of that 10 days or so of studying it and talking about it as groups. The idea is that we would be people of the word in that we would be hearing from God's word as individuals in our homes, in our dorms, in our place of work, that we would be hearing from God's spirit and word. And then we would come and continue to be edified and learn um, as the pastors preach as well. Uh, So this is a switch, this is a different way of doing a Bible study than maybe you've done here at Grace or than you're used to. But we think this will be a great opportunity to go to the text and hear from God's word ourselves. So um, this First Peter study, this is for you. Make sure you take one. The idea is that everyone would go through this at the same time, starting on August 22nd. There's also a PDF version online if you go to our website as well. As we conclude the book of James, we see that James is writing to the church and to us about prayer. Prayer is so incredibly complex, but at the same time, so very personal. Here, as we finish out James 5, we do not get a comprehensive understanding of everything we could learn about prayer, but we do learn a key aspect of prayer, and we see what righteous, faithful prayer that comes from a genuine faith looks like. As we open up the text tonight, We want to hear what the Bible actually says about prayer and weed through some of the thoughts and emotions and experiences we have had with prayer that have been unsatisfying and unhelpful. Tonight we're going to read a verse that says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The idea tonight is we we get to the bottom of what James is talking about here. Would you pray with me as we get started? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to hear from you. God, we confess that we need to hear from you and your word and your spirit and your people here tonight. Father, I pray that we would be a people of prayer, of faith-filled, righteous prayer, so that we would show that we have genuine faith. And then we would show that we are really your disciples and that we would see, a supernatural outpouring of your spirit here in our lives, right here, right now. In our lives and in this church and in our world. Father, thank you for what you have for us tonight. We look expectantly into your word and we ask your spirit to speak to us tonight god we pray that we would be a people of prayer where we are regularly interceding for others when we are regularly asking others to pray for us god we pray that you would fill our minds with your wisdom tonight god we pray that we would hear from your word and your spirit and your people in jesus name amen When we look at James chapter five, we see that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It seems so very straightforward, yet it's very complex when we start talking about prayer, and when we start talking about righteousness, and when we start talking about having faith as it pertains to prayer. See, prayer has some problems built into it. It triggers many different kinds of emotions. As we read this verse, we have a history with prayer, in some capacity, we don't feel that we're righteous, we don't feel like prayer has been effective, we don't feel like prayer is working very often. There's difficulties when we come to prayer for many reasons. One of them is that all religions pray. So there is a lot of different kinds of prayers. There's a lot of different beings or entities or people that we can pray to. So it's complicated. It takes faith to pray. We know this intuitively, the book of James tells us. Also, we live in a very material world. We live in a world where instead of praying for the things we need, we can get online and order them and they're on our doorstep the next day. We live in a very material and instant world. When I was a a young teenager, first driving, I would not really pray because I knew that felt a little sacrilegious, but I would hope against hope that certain songs would come on the radio as I was driving in my car. I didn't have uh, even a CD player or anything like that. I just had a radio, so I just had to hope that a song came on that I liked. And when it did come on, there was this euphoric, almost movie-like experience that you had that would take place when that song you'd been waiting for came on. Today, as I drove here to church, I had a song running through my head, and so I pulled it up on Spotify and I played it through my car radios. The 16-year-old me, if you told me that I would be able to do that someday, you would think, I would think you're talking about like from the future in a sci-fi movie or something. We live in a material world where we just pull up what we need. We pull up the song we want to hear, we order the thing we need, we order our groceries and we go pick them up, or even pay the extra $2 at Aldi and they come and bring them to us. We live in a very material world. We are not used to praying and relying on the Lord to provide for the things that we need. So when we read that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, there's all kinds of things that we need to work through so we can see what righteous prayer is. So let's go to the text and see what James tells us today verse 13 of james chapter 5 is anyone among you suffering let him pray is anyone cheerful let him sing songs of prayer of praise There are seasons for everything in life. We're in a season here in downtown Iowa City as we worship here tonight where students are moving back into town. We're in a season of buying school supplies. We're in a season of getting our class schedule. We're in a season of trying to figure out how to navigate our way around campus. We're in a season where when you're driving your car, you have to try not to hit pedestrians as they go across the street. I guess every season is a good season for that, but this is a vital season for us to pay attention at crosswalks. We're in a season where football is coming. Uh, We were just talking, Julia was just mentioning how it was cool this morning. The mornings are starting to get cool. And in each season, there is an appropriate reaction. There's things that we do based on the season that we're in. And here, James says there's appropriate seasons to not only pray, but pray certain kinds of prayer. He lists three in our text tonight. The first one he lists is, is anyone among you suffering? When we hear the word suffering, there's a number of things that can mean, and I think James intends us to think of all the different ways that we can suffer. And he tells us when we're in a season of suffering, or when we witness suffering around us, there is an appropriate response. And that response is, pray. Let him pray. Not try to solve the problem, not try to get out of it, not try to explain it all and figure out a complex philosophy of suffering, but pray. The appropriate response in a season of suffering is to pray. And then on the flip side, the second season we are given is, is anyone cheerful? This word cheerful in the Greek that James is writing in is actually closer to our word courage. He's giving us a complex word here that means cheerfulness or a joyful countenance even during suffering. This is also in line with the rest of the book of James as James is giving us instructions for how to persevere through suffering based on our genuine faith in Christ. So he tells us, in a season where we have cheer or we have joy, even though we may be going through something hard, the appropriate response is, sing songs of praise. That's what we did here tonight. We sang songs of praise. They weren't necessarily based on our circumstances. They weren't necessarily based on the emotions that we're feeling right now. It was singing words that are just true about who God is no matter what we're feeling or experiencing. And then the third season, and that's where James spends the majority of his time in this passage, so that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time as well. Verse 14 through 18. Is anyone among you sick? So there's the season. Is anyone among you sick? He uses a word, there are many words used in the New Testament for sickness but he uses this particular word in the Greek for sickness because the most common word for sickness in the New Testament it is also used for a range of kinds of sickness on one end of the spectrum it can mean spiritual weariness a weariness that comes from spiritual ailments or lack of belief or just a weariness from the suffering in the world All the way to the same word being used for death. I think James is very intentionally choosing this word to tell us that this sickness that's being experienced is neither only spiritual or only physical, but it's both and everything in between. So that's the season. So what is he going to tell us to do? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. The season is a wide variety of spiritual or physical suffering, sickness, and ailments— and James' instruction to us is to pray and ask others to pray for us. Specifically in this passage, she starts out with elders, but then he gives some instruction for us to pray for one another as we interact with one another. What do you normally do when you're sick? Maybe you consult the internet, maybe WebMD or Google or worse. Maybe you consult a medical professional, your general practice doctor, or you find someone here at Grace Downtown with scrubs on. You go up to them and say, you're a doctor, right? Inevitably, there's someone with scrubs on here at Grace Downtown. Maybe you go up to them and ask their advice. Maybe you decide to change your diet, the things you're putting into your body. Maybe you start taking vitamins or other supplements. Maybe you start getting more physical exercise. Maybe you try essential oils. Maybe you try all of these things. I try all of these things when I'm not feeling well. I try all of these things to keep from getting sick. But here James is telling us to do something that we either do not do or we do not do well, and that is invite and ask others to pray for us. The last time you were sick, or maybe you're sick now, maybe from a general acute illness, or maybe you have a chronic illness, what has your response been, and how have you gone about trying to be healed? If you're like me, you have spent more time trying to heal yourself and find the answers than you have praying that you would be healed Here, James is telling us, in a season of sickness, in a time of sickness, we need to pray and ask others to pray that we would be healed. It seems so straightforward, but if you're like me, you have rise up within you some measure of skepticism. Some measure of skepticism that comes, and it comes in a couple of different forms. And this passage addresses both, thankfully, but first we have to point them out. The two different kinds of skepticism, one, the first one, says, well, the first one says, well, God, he will do what he's going to do, so I'm not going to pray, or I'm going to just trust that he is sovereign. And when we think this way, we actually get to a point, ironically, where we lack prayer where we may stop praying for something because we think, well, it's in God's hands. I'm going to let go and let God, and he's sovereign, he's in control, and I don't want to be presumptuous as to think that I would know God's will. And the other kind of skepticism, which we're going to talk about both and how the passage describes both of them, the other form of skepticism says, well, then it's based on our faith. If I have enough faith then maybe I will be healed. And if I'm not healed or someone else isn't healed, well, then they didn't have enough faith. That, those two kind of opposing skepticisms and those two kind of a, a viewpoints that arise are not just theological camps. They are not just groups on the internet. They are not just niche thoughts or commentators on this passage. This wells up inside of us when we start talking about prayer and faith and prayers of righteousness and healing for ourselves or others but god's word addresses here in the book of james the skepticism that rises up in our heart so the first kind of skepticism the skepticism that says we just need to trust god because he is sovereign and we can't be presumptuous to know his will We read here in verse 14 that we are to ask the elders to come and pray over us. Here throughout the book of James, we have seen what genuine faith looks like and genuine faith leads to works. It leads to certain actions. We've received instructions about not doubting. We've received instructions about how to not show partiality in the family of God. We have seen how to use our tongue. We have seen why we have fights and quarrels among us. We have seen all these hands-on instructions at a street level of how we are to live if we have genuine faith and here James is telling us what prayer at a street level looks like and what he's telling us is that if we have genuine faith and we are sick and we are struggling, we will call on others to intercede and to pray over us and to pray for our healing even if we don't have the faith. So, we show our skepticism by not asking others to pray over us. We also learn from this passage that our healing sometimes does not come because we do not ask because of a lack of faith. Please turn with me to James chapter 1. Uh, James does something by bookending the book of James in chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. And then here in our passage tonight, he bookends this idea of faith and doubting. And he's connecting them to our healing. James chapter 1, starting in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For the person that does not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So here the passage is telling us that though it is not a one-to-one correlation based on the size of our faith, there are times when we don't have enough faith to ask. And James chapter four says, Sometimes we do not have because we do not ask. So, while it is not based on the size of our faith, there is a faith component to this. We also learn from this passage that sometimes our sin causes suffering. Sometimes. It's built right into this passage. We are hesitant to talk this way or to think this way, but as we look at verse 15, we read, If the person has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This tells us a couple of different things. The first one is that sometimes someone is sick or suffering either spiritual or physical ailments because of sin. But it also tells us that that is not always the case. It's built right here into the passage. It also tells us that if sin is causing that suffering and that person is prayed for and that person asks for healing and forgiveness, they will be saved and forgiven So again, this flies in the face of some of our skepticism or some of our history with prayer. And lastly, under this category, we see James bring up the story of Elijah, where Elijah prays in the Old Testament that it would not rain and it does not rain for three years and six months, and then he prays and it starts to rain again. Here, maybe you've even heard that we need to have faith like Elijah did, or maybe you've seen this used as an example, if we just have as much faith as Elijah, then we will see supernatural things take place. The problem is twofold. First, if you read the whole story of Elijah, not that great a guy all the time. Just like you and me, he had his ups and downs and he had his moments of faith and his moments of deep and profound doubt. The second thing that we see is that Elijah was basing his prayers off of God's promises. God had told him this is how it's going to go down. And he knew the will of the Lord and he was praying in accordance with the will of the Lord. We even read right here that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Literally what the writing is here in the Greek is he was made in the image of God just like you and me though we had the flesh of a man. So the story of Elijah and this story that James is pointing to is not the story of Elijah's great faith, but of God's great power. James wants us to know that when we are sick, when we are ill, when we are weak, we are praying to the same God that Elijah prayed to. The same God that stopped the heavens and stopped the rain is the same God that we are praying to for our healing. Let's take a look at how the scripture counteracts or speaks to the other side of things, that it's based on the size of our faith. The first thing is that in verse 14, we read here that the faith in this passage, the size of the faith or the amount of faith is not the person who is sick, but it's based on the elders, James is saying here, when you don't have enough faith, go to the elders and say, elders, please have faith on my behalf and pray that I would be healed. There are times when we just don't have the faith and we need others to have faith on our behalf. To pray for our healing, to pray for our encouragement, to pray for our hope and our healing and our deliverance and our forgiveness when we're just not feeling it. That's what James is not just describing but prescribing here for Uh, us. We also know, again, based on verse 15, that our sin and our suffering are not always connected. This is not karma where there's a one-to-one correlation with our sin always leading to our suffering. We see also in Scripture and in our experience in life that not everything we ask for comes to pass. Not everything we ask for comes to pass, but we can take heart. Because even Jesus, who was very righteous, right? In every nature, fully man, fully God. Jesus, who if anyone's prayers are powerful and effective, Jesus's were. Yet, in the garden, before his death, he cried out to the Father. God, if there's any other way for your purposes to be accomplished, take this cup, take this suffering, take this burden away from me. But he didn't get what he asked for. For your sake and for my sake and for our forgiveness, he went to the cross for you and for me. So we've talked about how this passage addresses our skepticism that rises up in our own hearts about prayer. We've seen how this passage does not let us off the hook to either a faith that says, well, God is sovereign and I don't need to pray about it and it's not based on the size of my faith, nor a presumption that says it's based on my faith and I must not have enough faith if I'm not being healed. Here he is describing for us what righteous prayer looks like. So, we're going to spend the rest of our time taking a look at what does he mean by the prayer of a righteous person? Or to use the language of James from the book of James, what does the prayer of someone with genuine faith look like? Folks, we need help here, right? We need help. Not only do I feel very dissatisfied with my prayer life, I know very few people who are satisfied with their prayer life. So we need to know from James, we need to know from the Holy Spirit, what is the prayer of a righteous person? James has taught us that our works show if our faith is true and if our faith is in the right place. Here we are told that when we are walking in righteousness, a right relationship with God, with an awareness of what is on his heart, that is when our prayers are powerful and effective. James chapter 4 verses 2 through 3 says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Psalm 37 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Here, James says the person that can know that their prayers are powerful and effective and prayed from a place of genuine faith are those who are walking in the righteousness of Christ. Aware of their standing, of being in Christ. Aware of what the will of the Lord is. This is the person whose prayer is powerful and effective. So when we don't see people healed, there's a few reasons that James points out for us. First... Often we don't have the faith to even ask. We do not have faith that it's going to work. We don't have faith that we genuinely know what the will of the Lord is, or we ask wrongly to spend it on our passions. Instead of praying that God's will be done and Him be glorified, we're praying with false motives that we may or may not even be aware of. He concludes this section as well as the book of James by showing us what biblical community looks like and why that's a key component of this. Look with me at verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This passage is describing a group of people who are not suffering with illness and sickness and spiritual and physical ailments in isolation. He is describing a group of people here that know what's going on in one another's lives. Look at the passage. They know when one another are sick. They know when one another have spiritual ailments. And they even know when one another are sinning and walking away from genuine faith. This is a group of people that does not just meet in the same building every Sunday night, but really knows one another. That's the kind of community that he's describing here. He's describing a biblical, gospel-centered community that is following Jesus in community together. And then... James tells us what we are to do in this community. We're to pray to one another, but in these last two verses, he is saying we should also warn one another when someone is walking away from the truth of who Jesus is, when they're walking away from genuine faith. He lays out a pattern for us here of warning someone Inviting them back into fellowship and then welcoming them when they do come back into fellowship. He is giving us a beautiful picture here of what it means to be our brother's keeper, to care about the lives and the souls of others. And he says, when we are praying for one another, when we are speaking the truth and love to one another, when we are warning and inviting and welcoming, then it covers over a multitude of sins. So, what does this life of righteous prayer look like? That's what we're going to conclude with tonight. What does righteous prayer look like? First, it's knowing the will of God. Elijah was able to pray powerfully and in faith because he knew God's will. He spent time listening to God and speaking to God, and he knew what was on God's heart so he could pray In faith, the disciples do some pretty amazing supernatural things in Scripture, and that's because they had been spending time with Jesus. They knew what delighted him, they knew what was on his heart, they knew what the will of God was because they had spent time with Jesus. We need to know the will of God, we need to be people of the Word. Not just people that hear the word, but people that know the word, that believe the word, that obey the word of God. When we know the will of God, then we can delight ourselves in the Lord and he will give us the desires of our heart. We'll know what to pray for. We'll know how to pray instead of just praying on our own passions, praying that God would be glorified. And we would know what that looks like and know what that means because we know God's will. Then, as we know God's will, we ask for what we need in order to accomplish His purposes. Instead of spending it on, on our own passions, when we know His will, we are praying that His will would be done by asking for the things that we need. We just had a team from Grace Community Church get back from Guatemala, a team of folks that went and uh, they worked with an organization called Mission Mobility, and they gave away wheelchairs. Uh, to those in need. They gave away wheelchairs to folks that didn't have wheelchairs. And wheelchairs in Guatemala are like gold. They can't get a hold of them. And there's people's that lives are are radically different because they just don't have access to modern medical supplies. So a team from Grace uh, went. I don't know how they got wheelchairs there. Um, I know you cannot just start walking from the church parking lot with a wheelchair and end up in Guatemala. So, but it takes a lot of logistics to get these to Guatemala, and they're very valuable. They're very scarce. And so they inventory these wheelchairs very carefully to make sure that they don't lose track of them and also to not over-promise and then under-deliver how many wheelchairs that they have. So, they build in redundancy, three check marks or checkpoints to make sure that they know how many wheelchairs they have. So, the team from Guatemala reported back to the church staff this week, and this is the report that they gave. As they loaded the wheelchairs onto the trailer to take them to the village, to take them where they were going, they counted 52 wheelchairs as they loaded them into the trailer. After that's checkpoint number one. Uh, They loaded them on, and then checkpoint number two is that two people went into the trailer and counted every wheelchair and came up with 52 wheelchairs. So 52 wheelchairs, everything checks out. The third redundancy that they put is that they take a picture of everyone, as they receive their wheelchair, this is twofold. Again, it's a redundancy built in to make sure that they count the wheelchairs, to make sure that they gave away what they said they gave away, and also to promote what they're doing and make other people aware of how they can get a hold of a wheelchair. They took a picture of each wheelchair that was given away, and they have 56 pictures of wheelchairs. See, God needed. 56 wheelchairs. So God provided 56 wheelchairs. As you hear that story, what rises up within you? Are you like me? Is your first response, that's incredible. That can't happen. Wheelchairs don't multiply. That skepticism that I talked about earlier when it comes to prayer, again, it's not just niche theological groups it rises up within us doesn't it part of you gets so excited i can see the looks on your faces as i started to tell the story some of you were like oh i think i know where this is going here we go but then very quickly we start to doubt and think well i'm pretty sure i would have counted 56 wheelchairs as they were going in that trailer whatever god wants to provide Whatever God needs to accomplish, whatever will glorify his name, he will do it. Whether it's miraculously providing wheelchairs, whether it is multiplying fish and loaves, whether it is healing our physical bodies, whether it is financial providence that we did not see coming, whatever it is to accomplish his purposes, he will do it. And sometimes we do not have because we do not ask. I want to ask you tonight, what do you need to see happen in your life? What do you need to see happen in your life? That even as you think about it here tonight, you know that only God could do that thing. What do you need to see happen? Something that only God can do. And I want to ask you, have you asked? Have you asked? I want to ask you even a a more challenging question. I know it is for me. I'm sure it is for you. Have you had the faith to ask again? Have you had the faith to ask again when you've already asked him over and over and over again? that he would heal the chronic illness that is in your life or in the life of a loved one, that he would restore a relationship that seems helplessly broken, that he would bring mental health where there seems to be nothing but brokenness, that he would provide financially or physically for the things that you need. Have you asked him and have you asked him again In faith that he would provide that he would be glorified and that you and others would be provided for as we know the will of God we can ask in faith that he would provide everything that we need many of you knew where I was headed with that story because you knew I was describing a missions trip and these things tend to happen on missions trips do you know why because a missions trip is an entire week set aside for God's purposes Imagine what would happen if we set aside a whole week for God's purposes right here, right now in Iowa City. We get so distracted with other things, our faith takes hits left and right, and we just stop asking. We don't lean into community, we don't pray in faith for the things that we need, so we don't see supernatural things happen. Or we, they happen and we just miss it. So we ask for what we need. Next, we need to obey this passage by praying for healing. We need to pray for our healing. We need to pray for the healing of others. We need to ask the elders to pray for our healing. Here in James 5 verse 14, you see that it says, call the elders to pray over you and they will anoint him with the oil in the name of the Lord. Commentators and scholars do not totally agree on the purpose of this oil being placed on someone's head. Some have said maybe there's medicinal properties. Um, there's been a lot of theories. But if you look at the entire text of scripture, old through new, the predominant, the majority of the times that this takes place where someone has oil put on their head, it's to set them aside for the purposes of the Lord. It's to consecrate them. It's to set them aside. So what James is telling us to do here is go to the elders, go to those that are walking in faith, and ask them to set you aside for the purposes and the healing of the Lord. That's what he is prescribing here for the church. That's what he's saying that genuine faith looks like. That's what he's saying a biblical community looks like. Fourth, we need to lean into community. This whole passage, this whole book, the entire New Testament is telling us to lean into community. We can't do the book of James. We can't do the teachings of Jesus. We can't obey any of the letters of the New Testament if we are not in community with one another. Author C.S. Lewis, great Christian thinker, says that there is one really adequate instrument for learning about God. One really adequate instrument for learning about God. And that instrument is the whole Christian community waiting on the Lord together. Waiting on the Lord together. That's what community looks like. And that's what James is describing here. Very practically, I want to encourage you to join our prayer team. Starting tonight, we are going to have a prayer team here at Grace Downtown where every week, every week, We are going to end the service by offering intercessory prayer, where men and women are going to come up here in the front and offer to pray for you. You can join the prayer team to be a part of interceding and having faith when other people maybe lack the faith or are in need of prayer. And we're going to end tonight by an invitation for you to come forward in prayer. Folks, no need is too small and no need is too big. Please don't think that your need is not big enough. Please don't think that your faith is too small. Please don't think that your need is too big, that God can't do anything about it. This is our first week of having a prayer team, and Joe and Jeff and I, as the downtown elders, decided that we wanted to go first as the prayer team, to offer to pray for the congregation. So we, as elders, and you as the congregation, we want to obey what these verses say, and we want to invite you to come forward and pray for healing here tonight. Each week, you will see men and women up here at the front Um, ready to intercede and pray for you. So in just a moment, we're all going to end on our feet as we normally do. I'm going to say a quick prayer. um, And then a couple of different things are going to take place. If you would like prayer, please come forward. If there's people up here, you can wait in line. We... God all night, we would love to pray for you, so please come forward. Uh, for the rest of us, you can take your chair to the back and stack it up on the carts as we normally do, and head on out to the patio and enjoy some ice cream and some fellowship out there. Would you stand with me? We end each service on our feet, and we're going to continue to end each service on our feet as our communication to God that we're ready to obey Him with our hands and feet. And so tonight I want us to consider how we will obey him in praying for one another and asking for prayer from others as well as we go into this week. Would you pray with me? Father, we believe in you, but we need help for our unbelief. Father, we have faith that you can move mountains, but we lack the faith to think that you care on Monday morning for our little lives and needs. God, would you increase our faith? God, would we be a people that prays and honors you in the way we intercede for one another? God, I pray for a moving of your spirit where you would receive all glory and all honor and all praise as we see people healed, restored, freed, and forgiven. God, we want to be a people that prays for one another. God, I pray for those that are struggling to have faith right now, I pray that they would at least have the faith to come forward and ask someone else to pray for them. God, I pray for those that are struggling with long-term chronic illness. God, I pray for their healing and their encouragement here tonight. God, I pray that we would be known as a people that really cares for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.